Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back with all of our listeners once again today. We're so thankful to have this opportunity that God has blessed us with to be able to go on this medium of radio and reach out to so many people on such a widespread basis, teaching His Word, trying to get across the rich teachings and truths that He has communicated to us through the inspired writers right there in His Word, in Scripture, the Bible. We're thankful to have this opportunity to be here with you personally. We hear from many of our listeners, many of them we actually meet who are in the Omaha area, who come by the Sunny Slope Church of Christ, check us out, and many have stayed on to continue to worship with us and study with us and grow spiritually as we, they get to know God's Word in more depth and detail. So we're thankful that you're there. You might be listening for the very first time today, and if that's the case, and we always have new listeners, we're thankful that you're there. And our prayer is that as you continue to listen, and especially if you continue to do that over a, well, a fairly short period of time, but you listen to several programs, our prayer is, and our hope is, that you're going to quickly come to realize that we do just as the name of this program suggests. We search the scriptures. We teach God's word. We're not here primarily to talk about neat-sounding stories, although we use stories for or for illustrations. But we're here to teach you God's Word, to help you come closer to God by growing in your knowledge of His Word. The biblical formula for the development of faith is found in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. It's not mystical. It's not magical. It's not accidental. It is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. The Apostle Paul wrote that. In other words, faith comes by hearing the Word of God. As you learn God's word better, your faith should become stronger. And as your faith becomes stronger in God, then you should naturally want to come closer to him. And ultimately, our prayer is that you, wanna, you will want to and that you will make up your mind to go ahead and come to him all the way, his way. Through Jesus Christ, his son, your Lord and Savior, as you embrace him as your Savior, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in him openly, and surrendering to him in the waters of baptism at which you are buried with him, as the Apostle Paul put it in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, buried into his death, actually, Paul said, and raised with him to walk in newness of life, Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5. As that happens, then your sins are washed away by the blood that he shed on the cross. Acts chapter 22 and verse 16, Ananias sent by the Lord to teach Saul of Tarsus, who would later become the apostle Paul, approached him and said, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord. So our prayers are with you that you will come to understand what God wants you to do and that you will be convicted and convinced that that is, is that that is exactly what you need to do and that you will want to do that. And as you are reborn, as you come to Christ and are baptized into him, you become a new person, a new creation spiritually. You get a new start, a new beginning, a do-over, if you would. So you begin a new life with new direction and new hope and new assurance. Our prayers are for you and our prayers are indeed offered on your behalf. We're thankful that you're here. We're thankful for all of our listeners. 
and we pray that all of us will benefit from our time together today and each day right here on Search the Scriptures. Today we're going to continue in what I really believe is an intriguing and a very, very important study. We have entitled this particular study, Everything Changed One Day. We have taken this from Genesis chapter 3, a very pivotal text in the history of mankind. As we've noted, events take place in our lives that suddenly, and often without warning, completely change our lives in one way or another. Someone may be driving along in a car and all of a sudden there's an accident, somebody pulls out in front of them or T-bones them or maybe the one driving has missed a red light and they plow into somebody else and there could be a life-changing injury and so that day their life changes. Or maybe somebody could be killed in a car accident, maybe a father or a mother and so for their family everything changes one day, that day. There can be a terminal medical diagnosis because somebody has been suffering from some kind of illness, the symptoms, they're not sure what it is, and they go to the doctor and he does the tests and then he tells them that they have some terminal disease. Everything changes for them on that day. The unexpected death of a loved one, maybe the phone call comes, maybe it's from a, a distant area, but that's somebody who is pivotal, who is very important in your life, and everything changes on that day. The loss of a job, and particularly for a family's sole income provider, everything changes that day for that family and for that individual. Now, there are good things that happen, and cause everything to change as well. You think about the birth of a baby, and on that day, everything changes for that mother and father. And we could look at many other examples that can change a person's life, sometimes for the good, often for the bad, in a negative way. But what we really want to do is focus on Genesis chapter 3 again. And we have looked at how God created mankind in God's own image. Now this goes back to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, that is in the image of God. He created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God said, uh, then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God created man special. He created man unique from everything else that he had created. He created man in the image of God. Now, not in physical appearance. I don't believe we're to understand that. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that God is spirit. Well, we're flesh. We have a fleshly body that we live in. But we do have a spirit or a spiritual being within us. We have a soul. And 
as God created us with that spiritual being, then we're different from everything else. We understand the very concept of righteousness and unrighteousness. We know the difference between right and wrong, between good and evil. We can understand the importance of obedience versus disobedience on the basis of the one being right and the other one being wrong, the one being good and the other one being bad, the one being righteous, the other one being unrighteous. We understand the difference between godliness and ungodliness or evil. So in that regard, God made us very unique from everything else that he had created. We're different, and only we are created in God's image. Now we know the story in Genesis chapter 2 where God began by creating the man, Adam, and he placed him in the garden, Eden, and he told him to dress and keep it. And I think we should understand that that garden where God placed the man with all of the resources, natural resources, that God had designed to be there within that garden was probably, well, perhaps we could just go ahead and say paradise on earth. But certainly the closest thing that we have ever seen in the existence of this world, paradise on earth. Now God did give man one negative instruction that we have recorded in Scripture. And that is, in verses 16 and 17, the Lord God, chapter 2, the book of Genesis, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So one tree, the fruit of which would have negative consequences, that would introduce mankind into the realm of evil, of unrighteousness, of, simply put, sin. Now we might say, well, what would fruit have to do with that? Well, we'll have to take that up with God in eternity. But God did give the man a, a negative instruction, a commandment, do not eat of this particular fruit. Now, if he would eat of that fruit, however we might in our finite minds be able to comprehend what that fruit could do, he would be sinning against God because that would be disobedience, and that's ungodly. Now, there was another tree in the garden, and that was the tree of life. And the man was able to continue to eat of that particular tree. And as long as he did, his physical life would be sustained in this world. Now we know the story goes on toward the end of Genesis chapter 2. God had brought all of the animals that he had created before the man and let the man name them. And supposedly letting the man search for a helper or a companion that would be suitable for him. But of course none were found because none were created in the same way that he was created. With a spiritual essence or being. With a soul. And so God, and I believe he always knew this was going to be his course of action, but see, the man needed to understand, and we needed to understand that nothing else that God created is like us. So God created a woman from one of the bones of the man and brought her to the man and gave her to him as his companion, and right away we read in the account that this was marriage. 
because verse 24 of Genesis chapter 2 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Beautiful story. How much time elapsed in the garden during which this man and this woman lived therein and perhaps even began to have children. We don't have a scriptural record of that, but that could have been the case. We don't know. We don't know if it was a matter of months, if it was a matter of years, a matter of decades. We just don't know. From the scripture account, it would seem to indicate that it was a fairly short period of time. But then the devil appears in the scene in chapter 3. He took the form of a serpent and he tempted Eve to, he first tempted Eve and then he used Eve to tempt Adam to eat of the forbidden fruit, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he was very subtle, the devil always is. Now he can be very direct, but he's also very subtle. And so he asks the woman in verse 4 of chapter 3, uh, rather verse 3 of chapter, I'm sorry, verse 2, uh, no, no, I'm, I'm sorry, getting it wrong. Let's go back. He's asking her in verse 1 of chapter 3, uh, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, and that would be the one that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God has said you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I believe the devil already knew the restriction that God placed upon the man and the woman, that being that they could not eat of that particular tree, the fruit of that particular tree. But he's subtle again, and so he asked her, has God allowed you to eat of all the trees of the garden? Well, yes, we can, she responds, except one. God has said that if we eat of that one, we'll die. And the serpent now says you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he has lied to her, saying you will not die, she was going to die spiritually if she ate of that tree. He deceives her into saying you're going to be like God. You're going to know good and evil. Well, she was going to know good and evil. She was going to become conscious of sin in her own life. So the woman in verse 6 saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. Now, that was the image that she processed in her mind based upon what the devil was telling her. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, we noted that at that moment, on that day, everything changed. And unfortunately, it was not only for Adam and Eve that everything changed. It was for all of mankind. Because again, Eve was the mother of all mankind. All would come from the seed of Adam and Eve. 
And so they brought the consciousness of sin into the existence of mankind and all of the consequences that go with sin and sinfulness. We noted that immediately they lost their innocence. If you go back to verse 25 of chapter 2, after God had brought the woman to the man and they were recognized as husband and wife, verse 25 says, they were both naked and the man and his wife and were not ashamed. Well, they were not ashamed because there was no sin. They saw no shame in their being naked together. They had no concept of sin. They had no consciousness of sin, of evil. Everything was good in their life. But immediately when they disobeyed God and ate of that forbidden fruit, everything changed. Verse 7 of Genesis chapter 3, the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now, they were naked before, but they saw nothing wrong with that. They did not, perhaps did not even realize the difference between being naked and being clothed. But now, they were sinners. Everything had changed. And they recognized their nakedness and they were ashamed. In verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called out to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, that is, God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Oh, my. They were making excuses. They were trying to blame somebody else for their bad decisions, their bad choices, and people still try to do that today. Adam and Eve were sinners at that point, and their sin removed their innocence, and now they recognized sinfulness, and they were ashamed that they were naked. Their sin separated them from God. Now, you say, what, where does it say that? Well, I think we have to do a little reading in between the lines here and, and, and just kind of surmising what the situation was like before they sinned, but, but look again. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, verse 8. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now that sounds to me like they had a relationship with God prior to their disobeying him and becoming sinners that indicated that they were close to him. That it was a fairly common thing for them to hear him 
walking in the garden or to be in their presence. And apparently they spoke back and forth with him up until that day. And then everything changed. They hid themselves because they were ashamed of their nakedness. And they were ashamed of their nakedness because they were no longer innocent. They were sinners. In Isaiah chapter 59, in verses 1 and 2, we read that one serious consequence of sin is that it separates us from God. Beginning with verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, another word for sin, have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Separated us, separated them from God. Sin separates us from God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 9, we get the longer view, and there we're looking at the final day of judgment. And those who are still lost in their sin, verse 9 says that these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of of God and from the glory of his power. Now, from his presence, from his glory, separated from him, and that's for eternity. The wages of sin is death. When Adam and Eve sinned on that particular day, when they ate of that tree that God had told them, don't eat of that, it's going to be bad for you. The day you eat thereof, you're going to die. They died spiritually. And that's understood as separation from God because of their sins on a spiritual level. How sad. How sad it was. On that day, at that moment, that everything changed so dramatically for the worse. And we're going to pick up next time with verses 14 and 15 and talk about another profound change that took place as a result of their sin. We do hope that you're catching the gravity of this particular study. We want to help you come to understand how you can be forgiven of your sins, how you can be redeemed through the blood of Christ, how you can be saved, and look forward to eternal life with him in heaven. In just a moment, we'll tell you how to contact us, and we'd be loved to send you a free Bible study that will teach you all of this. Why don't you take advantage, write down that information, and then give us a shout and ask for that study. We'd love to hear from you right away.